It is always such a joy to come on a day and see new life and see what God is doing in our midst. So exciting. It's also very, very good to see you. Thank you for choosing to come and be here today with us. Appreciate you very, very much. Now, we're going to be looking at the second in this series called How. We followed up a series that was a little bit tougher theologically, a little bit harder to get some grip on, and so I uh, was compelled by just a prompting to spend three sessions with some simple instructions and practical steps, and the more I dig in, it's like, is anything simple? You know, that's kind of my, my feeling on this. So we are, these are the three things that we're looking at, and last week we took a look at how you can pray with confidence. Today we're taking a look at how you can love by faith, and then next week we're looking at how you can be filled with overflowing joy. So let's jump right in, how you can love by faith. Let me say this. It doesn't mean I love you by faith. You may never see me. You may not know it. And I just love you by faith. It's not invisible. It's not a remote. It's not distant. It's very, very practical. And we need to get a hold of what that looks like. So I have this really strange question to start with to get us thinking. It is you already know that you can act loving when you feel like it. But how do you love someone you don't like? So you see how it's going to be really, really practical just by that question. Uh, But also, you maybe notice this. uh, A lot of people would think that's a really stupid question. A lot of people would think, why would I even want to love somebody I don't like? And the reason why this is so important to us is we're trying to follow Jesus' instructions, and he instructs us to love with a love that's beyond us and comes from him, And we literally love the way he loves, and it's going to be loving people that we didn't like, and then uh, experiencing that change inside of us as we do that. So we're going to figure out what that looks like. Now, because we take Jesus' teaching so seriously, I want you to look for that kind of teaching as we listen. I'm going to do something that I don't normally do. I usually spend a little time warming up before I jump into a heavy passage like I'm about to jump into And let me just warn you, it's a passage that when you don't understand it, it's terrifying. And it's a passage when you do understand it, it's still pretty solemn, and perhaps uh, a heads up, wow, wake up call. And so with that, if you would like to just listen, you may do that, because I'm not putting this one on the screen, it's many, many slides, but if you want to turn there because you're a visible kind of person, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25. I'm reading verse 31 through 46, but you're okay if you're just listening. I want you to listen for what it looks like to love somebody that you maybe don't even like and how important that is. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, He will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. 
I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So what's going on here? It almost sounds like people are going to heaven or hell based on whether they loved people or not. But that can't be right. Here's why it can't be right. Because the New Testament is very, very consistent that we can't earn our way into heaven by our behavior and how well we do it. Because our behavior just doesn't have what it takes to be approved in that way. We always fall short. So what is this talking about if that's not what it's talking about? It's actually simply talking about how Jesus can quickly identify if we already have received eternal life. Because if we have already received eternal life, we've already received an eternal kind of life. And if we've already received an eternal kind of life, we've already received an eternal kind of love. And it will come out, and it's not our behavior, it's not our love, it's not anything we do to merit anything. We have connected with the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus, in the end, simply identifies by looking at life, by their fruit you shall know them. And he can tell by the fruit of our lives if that love that we have is by faith in connection with Jesus and Jesus' fruit is produced in our lives. Is that any less terrifying? A little bit. But it is sobering because as I look at my life, there are times when I'm not loving the way Jesus loves. There are times when I still haven't grown into the kind of life 
where he is, his fruit just coming through and coming through. When you receive the king of heaven, you're not just waiting for one day when you can enter into the kingdom of heaven. When you receive the king of heaven, the kingdom of heaven enters into you. And when the kingdom of heaven enters into you, you begin to live a life that looks more like the king. And we begin to live a life that looks like children of the Father. So we're going to talk about that and see what we need to do as we look in the mirror of God's word and we see that there's mm, some room that we still have to grow. We need eternal kind of fruit because we have an eternal kind of life. We're not waiting for eternity once we die. If you've received the king, you've received eternity now. And an eternal kind of life begins right now. And if you have that eternal kind of life that you've already begun to live, you're going to see an eternal kind of fruit that doesn't come from you, that looks more like Jesus as you're connected to him in the vine, that his love comes through. So all Jesus does is he looks at us who would otherwise be dead branches, and he picks off the grapes that he knows comes from his life. And he sees that, oh, you have grapes, you're a grapevine because you're connected to me. And he looks at another life. They're busy trying to love, but he sees the deficiency right away. There's nothing eternal in it, and there's nothing specifically like him in it. It's the kind of love that everybody has, and we're going to talk about the difference. So this is an extremely challenging message, but it's not challenging if you get a hold of the good news that makes this kind of life possible. So I want to take these tough concepts and try to put them in practical terms with simple instructions. Pray for me. All right? So there's my intro. We're ready to jump right in. How do you love by faith? Point number one, you need more than a feeling-activated love. You need more than a feeling-activated love. Matthew chapter 5, 46 and 47, these are Jesus' words. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? I'm not going to ask you if you greeted somebody you didn't know on your way in. It's like... Wow, this really gets down into the nitty-gritty, doesn't it? It's like, wow, everyone loves to be loved, and everybody finds it pretty easy to be kind to people who are kind, the people that you like, the people who are kind to you. But Jesus is saying, everybody does that. If you want a supernatural kind of love, which demonstrates that you're in the kingdom of, of God, and his love is in you, it's going to look different than that. It's going to be eternal kind of love from an eternal kind of life. So, you need more than a feeling-activated love. Point number two, you need a faith-activated love. 
Now, what we just read from Jesus' words moments ago is the explanation of Jesus' words I'm about to read. Here's Jesus' words I'm about to read. Matthew 5, 43 through 45. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So, he's telling us that God is kind and he is good and he blesses everyone with sun. He blesses everyone with rain. Be more like your heavenly father. Bless everyone. Be kind and good to everyone. If you want to be children of the father, children of the heavenly kingdom, you are mentored by your heavenly father. As the Father has loved you, you are going to love others, whether they're good or evil, whether they've done you good or they've done you harm, because your goodness is not dependent on them. Your goodness comes from me, and it's inside of you. Base your love, not on the others, and whether you feel like it, but base your love on a faith-activated love. Now, we're going to talk about that, what that looks like. Now, before we move on, on a personal note, when I'm hurt or angry, my natural tendency is to defend myself and to be unkind, and to be mean. Because I know where I'm coming from, and you just hurt me, and I'm angry. And so I excuse myself from being kind and good. That's not right. And when I'm right, I'm really mean. (laughs) And that's not right. That's nothing like God. And there's never a time that he says, oh, that's good enough, that excuse holds, now you can forget about being good. Go ahead and be mean. Go ahead and answer in this mean, harsh way because they were mean and harsh. Go for it. God never says that. He says precisely the opposite of that. And when I read an author that said there's really never a reason for you to be unkind. It just, I mean, it shouted at me because I think I read it shortly after I was unkind with my hurt and anger in my own marriage. And in that unkind response, it's like, there's never an excuse to be unkind in a fight, even. You can fight fair, and you can fight kindly. Do I have it all together? I'm taking steps just like you are from wherever I am to where God wants me to be. I'm trying to help us all take steps in the direction that God is instructing us to take steps. On the screen is a quote. A self-centered life 
wants to feel good. By the way, I'm quoting me. (laughs) But I can't remember it. So it's on the screen. A self-centered life wants to feel good and makes decisions based on temporary feelings. A Christ-centered life wants to be good and makes decisions based on faith in eternal realities. I want you to read that silently one more time. Now I want us to go one step further. If you would, would you just vocalize that as a declaration? Would you read it with me? Here we go, out loud. A self-centered life wants to feel good and makes decisions based on temporary feelings. A Christ-centered life wants to be good and makes decisions based on faith in eternal realities. Are you starting to get the drift of what it looks like to love by faith? We, it's based on a reality that we believe in, and this reality is not just something distant and far away. This reality is ever close. In fact, it's right within us, and we're going to talk about what that's all about. Jesus tells us that the eternal kind of love looks like God's love. What he didn't say was he was just about to bring the greatest demonstration of God's love ever to be displayed for all of humanity and all of the angelic beings to witness and talk about forever. And after it took place, Paul describes it this way in Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. So let me just ask you a question. It's an important one because I think there are times in our lives when we wonder if God loves us. Does God love me? Does God truly love me? This is the demonstration right here. It has taken place. He loves you so much that he sent his son. And Jesus loves you so much that he died this horrible death in your place so that you would not have to be separated from God. He took on the separation of hell when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He had never experienced a separation from his father. He took on that separation for us so that we would never have to. Never forget this demonstration because the next time you feel like, does God love me? This is the answer. Of course he does. While you were still a sinner, he loved you so much, he did this for you. So you fell and stumbled again. Oh, sinner, just repent. He loves you. He values you. He's done this for you. All you need to repent is connect again with the Savior who loves you that much this value is for you. Now, is there any reason why you wouldn't want to memorize this verse so that you have it ready the next time you question whether God loves you or not? Have it ready. Let this enter into your prayer stream that he loves me so much that while I was a sinner, he was willing to do this for me. Remember, 
that he loves you. Here's the good news in three bullet points. Jesus' victorious sacrifice takes our sin away. Jesus' victorious resurrection releases resurrection power through the gift of his indwelling spirit. And Christ's eternal kind of love becomes a primary resource to us through his spirit. Loving by faith requires trusting the power of this good news. Loving by faith requires trusting the power of Jesus' love inside of us. Now remember, I'm following up this series after the last series where our key verse for the entire series was Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with him and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I love the me and me in that verse. It is so personal. Is there any reason why you don't want to memorize this one? I challenged a lot of you to memorize it. It's still an open challenge. This is what helps us to understand that we need to live by faith in Christ. When we learn how to live by faith in Christ, I live by faith in Christ, we actually learn how to love by faith in Christ because I have been crucified. My old way of doing things is now dead with Christ on the cross and now he is living in me and he is giving me the ability to love with a love that I don't have on my own. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But with me, we can do this thing. You can love that person just like I loved you. Living by faith requires loving by faith. It is faith in eternal realities. It's not this make-believe stuff that I'm just going to try to believe. It's that he really did this. He is real. He is in me. He is helping me. And the more you experience this, it doesn't get better than this. It's like this is the way to live. This is how you love Oh, it doesn't get better than real experience in the eternal kind of realities that you have received. If you haven't experienced it, there's a disconnect somewhere between here and here. And you're try trying to just hang on to mental stuff and you're not trusting what you believe to be the reality and stepping out in it. One eternal reality we often forget is this, that people are eternal and God values people. C.S. Lewis describes the God-instilled value of people in his book, The Weight of Glory. I'm going to excerpt some parts here and just read it. He wrote that, the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. In other words, what you see in the flesh is not the only thing that's there. God has created us in his image 
and we are immortal beings, and we're gonna either be ghoulish with a muck in the mire of sin that remains on us forever, or we're gonna be the glory like you can never believe that comes from the washing and the cleansing and the glory with which he, by design, created us to live out. Oh, I haven't finished the quote. All day long, we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. It is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. The next time you go through a checkout lane and you see a face, remember, she or he is an immortal. Your interaction is valuable. God values that person. This is a forever person. And you're playing a part in what becomes of their eternity. Let the love of Christ flow through you. And we have to learn how to do this thing called loving others by faith. Point number one, you need more than a feeling-activated love. Point number two, you need a faith-activated love. Point number three, God equips you. 2 Peter 1.3 says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. You think, I don't have what it takes. If you accepted Jesus as your savior, you have everything you need, okay? Everything you need. God never commands you to do anything he will not enable you to do. What God commands, he enables. God's power to love is accessed by faith. Faith activated love is not, and I love you if you do this for me. It's not, I love you because you're so wonderful. It's an, I love you anyway. It's always, I love you anyway. It's that kind of love. Years ago, Bill Bright challenged a crowd to love by faith, and it's from a little booklet that he wrote, How Can You Love by Faith, or How You Can Love by Faith, that I even got this title. And in it, he tells a story after that challenge. The very next day, a young woman came to tell him what happened. I'll read it for you. My life was totally changed by your challenge. For many years, I have hated my parents. I haven't seen them since I was 17, and I'm 22 now. I left home as a result of a quarrel five years ago and haven't written or talked to them since, although they have repeatedly encouraged me to return home. I determined that I would never see them again. I hated them. Before becoming a Christian a few months ago, she continued, I had become a drug addict. I was a drug dealer and a prostitute. Last night, you told me how to love my parents, and I could hardly wait to get out of that meeting and call them. Can you believe it? I now really love them with God's kind of love and can hardly wait to see them. It's not as hard as we think as long as we're tapping into the source. Trusting that that source is real and taking steps with him to love somebody that you thought you didn't like. 
Jesus started a revolution of love. And my dear friends, what if we took him serious? What if we took him serious? What would happen in our community? If we literally, I mean, let's just say we started a list. Okay, I don't like this person. I don't like this person. I don't like this person. God help me. God help me. God help me. And lead me. How am I going to deal with this? How do you want me to deal with this? How do you want me to do that? What if it was that practical? What if it was that simple? What would happen? i tell you what would happen. The Lord Jesus Christ would be honored because you're trusting him and you're taking steps and you're going to see what happens. There is not a better way to live than this. Let's do it. Let's love by faith. Let's let our old ways be crucified. Let's let Christ live in us. Let's live by faith in Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. And let's live and love others. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for this practical challenge. In ourselves, we find it so difficult. Our emotions just jump up and raise ugliness in front of us and we don't want to go there. But we also know we need to deny these feelings, deny ourselves, take up the way of Christ, which includes a cross and humility and love, with your love, somebody else the way you loved us. Help us to see some practice steps this week. Help us to learn how to pray for help. And Lord, if we're struggling because there's no fruit in our own lives, help us to look in the mirror Repent and ask you to be the source, our Savior, that we may connect with your love, that we be your beloved so that we can love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We've got a prayer team to the left of the stage. I encourage you. This time, I want to be real specific. There's probably anything and everything that you need prayer for, go ahead. But is there a person that you just could tell the prayer team, I would love for you to help me by praying for me, and I'm going to give you the name. This person is somebody I need to name. name. Help me somehow. Pray for me to love and name a name. Go ahead. God bless you. See you next week.